please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Sorry, they always have a big mouth. They always talk a lot. So, <laughs> it happened before, it's going to happen again. This week's fan guest is a huge tennis fan from New Rochelle, New York. An engineering recruiter by day, professional astrologer, stand-up comedian, and host of his own tennis-inspired cocktail-making show on YouTube by night. Wow, that's one busy night. That's a, that's a lot to do. He recently ruptured a tendon in his forearm that has kept him out of tennis for some time. And if he's looking for some comeback inspiration, he won't have to look much further than today's special guest. Please welcome Lars Mellis. Lars, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited. Thanks for joining. We have the queen of comebacks on the show today. Seriously, like the queen of resilience, the queen of inspiration. I'm feeling the positivity through Zoom already right now. It's amazing. Definitely. I know you do stand-up comedy. I wanted to give you one of my favorite tennis jokes, just in case you need it for one of your acts. Please. Okay. Um, what comes before tennis? I have no idea. <laughs> Ninus. <laughs> Right? Just in case you need that, it's all yours. I give it to you today. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's in <laughs> my back, back, back pocket. I'm not even Wimbledon with the jokes today, Lars. We're going to keep going. <laughs> all right, Lars, let's bring out our champion. I'm really excited to chat with her today. Our player guest today not only has one of the biggest serves in the history of women's tennis, but also one of the biggest smiles. Born in Troisdorf, Germany, she first made a name for herself by upsetting world number six, Anna Chakvatadze, at the 2008 Miami Open, and the wins would only get bigger from there. A year later, she'd win her first of four WTA titles at the Family Circle Cup in Charleston on clay by defeating former world number ones Venus Williams and Caroline Wozniacki en route to the trophy. Her first strike may have come on a clay court, but it would be the courts of Wimbledon that would make her a household tennis name. Her appearance in the 2013 Wimbledon final, as well as her streak of five consecutive appearances in a Wimbledon quarterfinal or better, helped solidify her name with being one of the best grass court players of her generation. No stranger to successful comebacks from injury, she continues to mount her return to tennis after a devastating ACL injury during a doubles match in Linz this past October. And with a career-high ranking of 12 in the world, she knows what it takes to get to the top of women's tennis. So we're confident that we'll see the boom, boom, zoom, zoom up the WTA ranks yet again. Our guest today is the fantastic Sabine Lasicki. Sabine, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> it's so great to see you again. Really great to see you. I know you have a lot going on at the moment. Uh, your fans are very eager to hear how you're doing. Uh, I wanted to ask how you're doing coping with COVID. Are you okay? Your family doing okay? Yes, everybody's healthy, knock on wood. Um, so that's the most important thing. And I'm getting there slowly as well. Okay, good. All right, we'll talk a little bit more How about, about that. your family. Oh, my family's great. You know, we had COVID earlier, but we keep wearing the masks. If we all keep wearing the masks, hopefully we'll be vaccinated by the summer. Uh, and yeah, we'll see. I think I'm going to try to go to the Miami Open. Uh, which they're accepting a little bit of fans. So it'll be my first taste of the COVID tennis experience, but we'll see. But um, thank you for asking. All right, guys, before we jump into Sabine's amazing career, I'd like to start the pod with my favorite way to start any service game. 15 love. And that's 15 love. It's a super simple game. I'm going to throw 15 questions at you, Sabine, and you just respond as quickly as you can 
with the first thing that pops into your Sabine Hedicky. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sabine, question number one. Name the first professional match you remember watching live or on television. It was Mary Pierce live. The first match that pops into my head live was uh, seeing Mary Pierce in Roland Garros, and she was my hero, where she did the shot between her legs in the air. That was the match you saw? Yes. <laughs> I don't remember who she played, but I, I snuck into that court and um, my parents didn't have tickets. I snuck onto that court because she was a legend and um, I saw that shot. <laughs> How lucky is that? <laughs> Amazing. What a great first match. It was Monica Seles, French yes. Open, 2000. Not the first match, but um, first one live at, at the slam. An iconic shot. It must have all gone to hill from there. I mean, come on. If that's the first match you watch, you're like, okay, I want this is what I'm going to do. This is it. Amazing one. Amazing. Okay. Question number two. Sabine, you have one of the best first serves in the history of tennis. What is one piece of advice you can give our listeners about the key to a great serve? To have a good rhythm. Yeah, for sure. It's like dancing kind of, I guess, right? I don't know. You need I have an Irani serve. I want a Lasicki serve. I would like, uh, you know, it never happened for me. I have to, my rhythm's off, I guess, apparently. Now I know. Thank you. Noted. Question number three, name an item that you carry in your tennis bag that you probably wouldn't find in someone else's bag. Um, a good luck charm from my best friend that she gave me 13 years ago. I still have it. You keep it in the bag. Yes, of course. I mean... I love that you're superstitious. We're going to talk about that in a minute too. That's funny. All right. Question number four. First word that pops into your head when I say the word Wimbledon. Amazing. It's a good one. I mean, of course it's Wimbledon. Yeah. Number five, name something still left on your bucket list. Oh, a lot of things. A safari in Africa. Okay. Yeah. You know, we can do that. It's very COVID friendly. You know, I mean, you could just be in a tent by yourself. I love that. That's a good vacation to do this time. <laughs> but I don't know how uh, that should be dangerous. A little dangerous. Yeah. All right. We'll wait then. We'll just wait. We'll get vaccinated. Question number six. What is your morning ritual? Uh, get up, brush my teeth and drink a big glass of water. Coffee? No coffee. No coffee for me. No coffee. Tea? No caffeine. No. Period. Done. All right. Morning ritual over. Water. Water and brushing. That's good. Water is important. All right. Number uh, seven. If you weren't a pro tennis player, what do you think your job would be? I always wanted to be a teacher or a doctor to help people. Yeah. You're very friendly. I mean, you're like the most friendliest person. Of course. Great teacher. I would love to have you as a teacher. Maybe like fourth grade or something. I don't know. I see this now. All right. Number eight. Someone you'd like to play doubles or mixed with, but haven't yet. Oh, well, there is a classic to play with Roger. Come on. <laughs> I, that's a good, I mean, you can't get better than Roger. I mean, we have to hurry up too. I mean, I he's, know. he's uh, you know, we got to do this. Uh, Wimbledon. I mean, come on. That's a, that's a gimme right there. All right. Uh, next question. If you had the power to change anything or any rule in pro tennis, what would you pick? I don't know. Right. I don't know. You're pretty happy with it. What do you think of the no lines people in Australia this year? Is that uh, first time? I think that's so interesting, right? I prefer to have lines people there. Um, not only for the jobs, I felt really sorry for everybody who, who wasn't able to go and have their job. Also, it's a normal path for them to then become a chair empire. So I'm not sure if that's a good thing to, how are we supposed to get good uh, chair empires if we're not having any linesmen who are getting experience through that? 
Excellent point. Honestly, we got to think about that. Listen up, everybody. Come on. Um, next question. Aside from your Wimbledon final, you get one singles or doubles loss from your career to turn into a win instead. Which one do you pick? Uh, the mixed at the Olympics in the semifinal. Yeah, that's a good match. We'll talk about that one in a second, too. Oh, that's a classic for sure. Number 11, what's an interesting gift or a message from a fan that you've received over the years? Oh, my God, so many. <laughs> I'm so thankful for that. Um, I get so many unbelievable, nice messages. I got photo books with messages from fans that I still keep and have all of them. And um, teddy bears, everything. So, um, yeah. I cannot pick one because there are just way too many. And I'm super thankful for having such amazing fans. How fun to get gifts like that. I mean, just to get thrown teddy bears all the time. That's kind of fun. Oh, that's right? amazing. Teddy bears. You cannot have enough teddy bears. <laughs> How many t-shirts have you signed with like Sabine Lisicki's face on it that have been made? I'm sure like a lot too. I mean, come on, you're popular. Yeah, so I'm yeah. A tattoo? No, we haven't been that far yet. I don't yet, know. But, okay. I don't know. Quite a few people asked me to sign on, I don't know, certain body parts. Okay. And I was like, well, okay, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> if anyone has a Sabine Lissicky tattoo out there, if you're listening, uh, please DM me. I want to see this. We can send it to Sabine. I want, I want a picture of this. I think there was actually one. I remember somebody sent me a picture. That's hard to forget. Yes, I don't remember. And it was a nice one, actually. I was surprised. It was really nice. I hope this person is listening. Please, I want to see this. All right. Next question, number 12. Name someone during your time on tour that has made you laugh. So many. I cannot name a single one. Yeah, name one. Mm, I don't know. I'm just picturing you just laugh. Maybe you and Hingis just laughing over something. We'll just say Martina, right? That's good. I'll just pretend. I, I, yeah. I picture that in my head. So, you know, we'll go with that one then. Number 13, describe yourself off court in just one word. Loyal. Oh, I like that one. Okay. All right. Well, maybe we'll investigate that one later too. Question 14, with all the injuries and setbacks, what keeps you motivated, Sabine? The love for the game. Simple one. I love that. And number 15, our last one, once you retire in nine or 10 years, what do you want to be remembered for? Being passionate on court and never giving up. I love it. Absolutely. Oh man. Thank you so much. That was really fun. We have one of your biggest fans on the call right now, Lars. Great information that we just learned with this, right? This is some, some new information for us. When did Sabine first appear on your radar? Uh, such a good question. So I really started to watch WTA and like really get into the WTA in 2009 when I went to college. And my first best friend, he is German American. And 2009 was a great year for Sabine. And I met him at the end of 2009. So of course, had that whole year. And just like the I think one of the first words out of his mouth was your name, probably. Uh, when we were talking tennis and um, that's cool <laughs> you know then 20 I was in college from 2009 to 2013 so pretty formative years with good titles and good runs and <laughs> definitely just such a fighter um, and the resilience piece for me is the most important thing I think there are certain players that there's just an indestructible indistinguishable quality about them uh, that just like shines through in addition to that, that smile, of course, and just that personality and the radiance there. Um, and I think that's really when I became aware of Sabine and why for the last, God, it's been like 12 years. Yeah, I've been such a fan and so, so happy to be here. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's a good ride for sure. I asked Sabine earlier as well, Lars, what was the first match you remember watching live or on television? What's that first memory of tennis for you? 
So uh, on TV, it would be the 2009 Wimbledon final. And I'm talking about the men's as an American. So, you know, we don't need to talk any further than just what happened in, in 09. Um, and then live was 2012 Madrid. Uh, I was living in Europe at the time and I saw uh, unknown player Simona Halep play Venus Williams. Uh, and it went to a third set tiebreaker. So it was very exciting. Yeah, I've heard of both of those people. So yeah, well done. That's another good first match. You host your own tennis-themed cocktail show on YouTube called Serving Up the Tea. It's a great show. You actually had me as a guest. You served three very strong cocktails, so thank you very much. You got me bombed, but it was a fun quarantine evening. It was fun. You know, it's good. Uh, If you were making a cocktail for Sabine, what would be your inspiration? That's a really good question. So when I I think about the player's career and then their personality secondarily, since it, it has to be based in like, I feel like the resume, right? So it would need to be green in color, first of all, because grass, like getting so excited for grass court season every single year that you've been playing because we, we know to expect some results and some upsets and some French Open champions probably losing. Um, <laughs> so definitely uh, it would be green. So I'd have Midori as like the, the liqueur I would use since that beautiful green from Midori. Then when it comes to the actual spirit, I I would probably use like, uh, I would imagine a tequila. I want something fun and something like, you know, that I could really like be getting a little rowdy watching matches for. So uh, Midori tequila, and then maybe like something orange, like triple sec or something. I don't think Sabine drinks very much, but we'll do a mocktail for her. And then the fans will drink as we watch just to cheer her on, right? We'll do it that way. Definitely. (laughs) Who doesn't like to get fired up for a tennis match? Speaking of rowdy, Sabine, you've played in front of a lot of rowdy fans in your your career. Can you remember a match where fans really helped you or carried you through a match? Uh, There were so many. Starting in Australia where the crowd is very joyful and they just love tennis in a different way than at other majors. Um, Obviously at home in Stuttgart, the crowd always carries you, but Wimbledon every single time, I think because, you know, the crowd, I think my fans also know what I went through and I feel like they always carry me through those tough matches at Wimbledon. But there was actually one match where at the US Open, it was the last match on um, grandstand um, where I played against Stritsova. I was injured and I was down 1-5 in the third set. And I have no idea how I managed to turn that match around, but the crowd definitely helped me a lot with that. Your reaction after that match was one of the, t- I mean, there's literally, your reactions are priceless after every time. The <laughs> gratitude that you have when you win a match is so infectious, but that was a big one for you. That was one of my very favorites as well. Great match. You did get to experience fans in the COVID era. You were able to play this past summer world team tennis and you made your debut. What was that experience like for you in Greenbrier? It was super cool. I thought it was amazing that they made it possible for us to play because there were so many challenges ahead of that and all the testing prior to actually flying out, getting there and being sort of isolated. Um, We were very thankful that we were allowed to play and um, that was amazing. It was just so much fun for me personally. It was great too because I was on my way back and I needed those matches I started off pretty bad 
but then I picked up my game and I actually was finding it. And in the end I beat Venus. So um, that was a big confidence booster for me and um, which I took over into the European season as well. So that was nice. That was a huge match. I bet it was so nerve wracking to come through COVID like all of us and say, okay, it was one of the very first tennis uh, events that there was. And after that WTA, then in Charleston, you know, you moved on to Greenbrier and it was like, okay, let's just see what happens. You know, it was, everyone was crossing their fingers, but it was the highest rated world team tennis season. I think they've ever had ratings wise. It, It did amazing. People were so excited to have tennis back. It was really, really cool. Kim playing on your team, obviously a legend of Kim Kleister's. Um, What was that experience like? Did you take anything away from that experience with her? Of course, it helped me. It always pushes you when you have someone like that on your team. And you. I always try to learn something, even the smallest parts. I, I try to learn things and it definitely helped me because... I was panicking after the first one or two matches that I started off bad because I, you know, for many reasons, but I was nervous. It was something completely new and you want to do well for your team. And there were a lot of things coming together. So, um, you know, she and her team and my entire team helped me to calm down a bit and to be able to turn that around and to play well again. Oh, you played amazing in that Venus match. It was so fun to watch. It's so fast paced. Obviously, you have to get used to, you know, it's a completely different format for someone who hasn't played before and to play with a team atmosphere as well. People relying on you for every point. It's exciting for a fan perspective. But, you know, from a player perspective, that's kind of nerve wracking. Well, it's it's different. It's so fast. It's um the counting and everything, it's just so different. So uh, you have to understand that first. I was nervous already when I signed up. And then, you know, having those back-to-back-to-back days uh, were very exciting, but nerve-wracking in the beginning. (laughs) It was so cool to see you back on TV, especially playing Venus. It was like a great throwback for everybody. It It was Sabine versus Venus. This is like amazing. Real quick, we just mentioned courtside. Um, I'm not sure if you remember this very well, Sabine, but uh, we met years ago. I was managing the Waldorf Astoria Hotel in New York. Yeah, in New York. In New York. Okay, good. In 2011, a long time ago, you had a great run to the US Open that year to the fourth round. We ended up chatting a few times. You were staying in the hotel. You were so nice. Uh, Your father ended up offering me tickets to your US Open match against Vonareva in the fourth round. And I was so grateful. I became an instant fan of yours. I just thought it was such a cool thing to do to give tickets to a fan like that. So I wanted to acknowledge that. Question, are you superstitious? I think you're a little superstitious, right? At times I do get superstitious, but I always try to get rid of those superstitions as soon as possible. So after the tournament finishes, I try to get rid of it because I don't like to be to rely on things that I cannot control. So everything else that I can control, that's fine. But um, everything that I can control, I try to get rid of it as soon as the tournament ends. <laughs> I need that mentality because I was holding on to something for a very long time. I feel like most tennis players are superstitious. I'm very superstitious. We met in 2011 and I wasn't able to go to your fourth round match because I was working and I was devastated. You ended up losing the match, and I literally thought that if I had been there, you would have won the match, and I held on to that for a very long time. I had tennis guilt for a very long time. It was horrible, but after that, 
I only let it go because I've seen you play live twice and you won both matches. So I felt much better after that. So good. at least <laughs> I just needed to clear my conscience today a little bit. So now that's good. I can breathe a, a big sigh of relief. That's good. All right. We're bonded now. All right. Who's ready for a game? Are we ready for a game? I'm ready. I'm ready for a game. All right, let's do this. All right, Lars, maybe you'll get an invite if you win today. So we'll see how this goes. Pressure. <laughs> let's test your memoriki with Sabine Lasicki. I'd love to play a game called I 40 Love You. It'll be Lars versus Sabine in a fan versus favorite tennis match trivia showdown all about Sabine's career and life. Lars, I'm gonna ask you two questions about Sabine's career. And then Sabine, I'm gonna ask you two questions that test your memory about your own life and career. If we happen to end up in a 2-2 tie, I'm gonna give Lars the opportunity right now to be today's champ, but only if he can survive this first question. Otherwise, the tie break goes to Sabine. This first game is called True or Fault. This is an early test of your fandom to Team Lasicki, Lars. So good luck to you. Lars, I'll give you three statements about Sabine. If the statement is true, you just say true. If the statement is not correct, please firmly say fault in your best Wimbledon lines person's voice. <laughs> You'll need two out of three of these to win the tiebreak. All right, we ready? Question number one. I'll do my best. <laughs> Let's do this. All right, question number one. Speaking of the US Open, Sabine will forever be connected to the US Open as she was the very last singles match in history to be played on the old grandstand court in 2015. Is that true or false? I'm gonna say uh, that's very difficult. Um, that's a, that is a tough question. I'm gonna say fault. Okay, I love that you said fault because she already said it like two seconds ago, Lars. She literally just he's mesmerized by you right now, Sabine. He's, he's nervous. That's fine. It's okay. We will forgive him. <laughs> right. I know the format of this podcast, by the way, and I knew the game was coming up. And in my head, I'm like. It's like you're playing a match and you're just like, don't mess this up. <laughs> exactly. So it's like, it's so nervous. Like right there. I know I get it. It's not my strong skill. Apparently. Maybe we can redeem ourselves. Do you, which two time grand slam champion and current top five. Did she play in that match? Two time grand slam champion and current top five. I'm going to say that's Simona Halep, right? It is. Yes. Okay, good. All right. There we go. All right. Good. All right. Oh man. I love it. Sabine, you've played your best tennis in grand slams over the years. We'll talk about your, your runs in Wimbledon in a bit, but after Wimbledon, the U S open has been your most successful grand slam. You've made the fourth round twice there. One was my fault. Again, you would have made the quarters, but obviously, all right, now we we've cleared that. So that your next run to the U S open will be a quarterfinal run. Sounds good to me. I'll take that. Where can I, where can I sign? <laughs> Just, you know, we'll stay in touch. You know, we'll, we'll be. Okay. Okay. What was it about New York that brings out your best tennis? The crowd. Yeah. A lot of players like a Serena really do well with a crowd atmosphere. So we were all so nervous to see how she would perform in a fanless COVID era. You're the same type of player. You get energy so much. I mean, people just love watching you and it kind of goes both ways. Any great memories from New York? Obviously, we talked about that streets of a match. Your first run in New York, long time ago. You've been, you've been playing the US Open for many, many years. It was very overwhelming um, because I haven't been uh, to New York as a junior before. So I came straight into the Grand Slam. So it was overwhelming for me. It was big. It was loud, energy, noisy. And it was so much fun but it was so much at once. So I had to get used to it. So the next year I knew what was coming at me. So um, 
I feed off that a lot. Experience helps me a lot to cope with things. So oh, yeah. ever since I passed that first year, I really enjoyed being there. New Yorkers have a very tough exterior. So the smile melts away that. So that's what really helps us. That's why you've been so embraced there, I think. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> Question number two for you, Lars. True or false? Speaking of making history, at the 2014 Bank of the West Classic in Stanford, Sabine smashed a seven-year record held by Venus Williams when she hit a 131-mile-per-hour serve in her first-round match against former number one Yelena Yankovic to break the world record and hold the title of world's fastest serve. Is that true or fault? Wasn't it Anna Ivanovic, or am I, am I crazy? I don't know. I'm just asking true or fault. Okay, it's true. It's 131 miles an hour. I like to watch that YouTube clip, so that was correct. I'm correct on that. That part is true, but again, it's fault because it was on Ivanovich, not Yelena Yankovic. You're almost too good at this game, Lars. You're too good. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> so like, this is, this is my problem. He knows the details, but you know, everything else is. Exactly. So the yeah. answer was, I, I tricked myself out of that. You did. You <laughs> knew, you knew it was almost there. I always have myself to blame. I mean, if we're going to talk world records, that's a pretty boss record to have. I mean, I don't want to eat 100 hot dogs in 60 seconds and have my name in the world record book for that, right? I want the serve record. <laughs> Sabine, obviously your serve has been a major weapon. Was it a goal of yours to break that speed record? Was it always? It was. Yes, yes, always. Because you know, right? You know you have the speed. So it's like, I can do it. Let me just do it. Since I was a junior, I always had tests done where they would measure the speed and my speed was always way above average of um, all the other girls at that same age. And I knew it was one of my weapons and I always wanted to beat the world record. And I actually did that in 09 already, mm -hmm. but in Bali, it used to be the small year end championships for, you know, not the Singapore one, but the other one. And it wasn't official because it was not the official team. So um, yeah, it took me a few more years, but actually when I hit it in Stanford, the crowd woed and I didn't know what was going on. I looked at the speed gun and uh, I saw the measurement and I actually thought, oh yeah, it's not going to count. And in the end, they requested me for press conference. And I was like, why? Because it doesn't happen that often that you get, you know, requests for press when you're, I mean, it was past, I don't know, 10 or 11 p.m. And usually everybody just wants to go home. And then she said, yeah, you broke the world record. I'm like, oh, is it official? She said, yes. I'm like, oh, finally. <laughs> I love this even more, Lars, especially because she was hoping to break it. It's not just like, oh. No, oh, I knew I'm going to break it. I It was just a matter of time. I wasn't hoping. <laughs> I know, but now I'm so much happier that you broke it because you really wanted to, as opposed to like, oh, by the way, you broke it. And you're like, oh, thanks. Thanks so much. Oh, I had no idea that I broke it. No, this is so much better. Well done. And that answers my question. Like when I watch that clip on repeat, sort of like your expression. I see that you like kind of look in the direction of the speedometer, but you're, you're just so like cool. I definitely would not have been that composed. So it makes a lot of sense with context as to like why you were like so chill about it. Yeah. I mean, she's in a rumble with Ani Ivanovich too, you know, so maybe that, you know, That's she's it. kind That's of, you know, focused. I love that. <laughs> All right. Uh, you can redeem yourself almost here. We'll do question number three here. This is the last one for this round, Lars. Let's talk doubles. 
Sabine has shown her doubles prowess throughout her career. In 2012, Sabine played in the bronze medal match at the Olympic Games in London. Is that true or false? Then that's true. Okay, yay, <laughs> we got one. All right, there we go. Amazing. It is true. She also gave you a hint as well. You know, this was a very, like, soft opening. This is going to get much harder for you. I'm just warning you now. <laughs> the Olympics are such a huge event. The London Olympics was on your favorite surface as well. I mean, it, it was right there. So amazing. What was that experience like for you, aside from the tennis? Did you get to engage in the Olympic Games? No, I didn't because I knew this was the only time in my career and probably in my life that the Olympic Games will be on grass. So I did everything in my power to um, not regret anything. I actually rented the same place that I rent during Wimbledon on my own costs and I had my coach there and it was a lot of stress to get everything there but um, I didn't want to drive one and a half hour one way from the village to Wimbledon because that's how far the village was so I actually yeah. only spent three or four nights at the village which is sad looking back now but I didn't get to see the opening ceremony either because I had to play the next day at 11. And so the German Federation wouldn't let us go. So it was tough looking back. I, I had big hopes that I would do all those things in Rio. And uh, maybe, maybe when I'm very lucky, I perhaps get another chance in the future. But um, it would be amazing. But you never know what happens. But I've been to the Olympics. I'm thankful that I was able to represent my country. And it actually was one of the most painful moments when we lost the bronze medal match and we walked out off the court and there they were standing with the medals and you had to pass them and you were looking at the medals mm. and you were like, mm, I really wanted one. So, so close, but you know what, if there's anything that I can say about Sabine Lasicki, it's no regrets. So, Hey, you did everything you could to do it. And that's another reason that you've been in the game for so long you beat Bob Bryan and Liesl Huber in the first round. It, amazing way to start. They were the number two seeds in that mixed doubles tournament. You did get to play Andy Murray though at Wimbledon, which is something that was pretty cool though. I loved it. I loved that match. It was on court one and the British fans were chanting G B G B. And it was just the coolest experience ever. And I was up for it. I was ready for it because it felt like home soil for me in a way it did. You did. Even if I'm not a British, but it did feel like that being home. And yep. I enjoyed every single moment of that match. And um, we actually, I, I think I, uh, fended off match points on my serve in the second set to force a third set match tiebreak, and we ended up losing, I think, 7 10. Um, so that was very painful, too. <laughs> I'm glad we've, we've almost let it go. Well, that's okay. That's fine. It still hurts. I love that it meant so much to you, though. It's, it's important. You're a great doubles player. You've played some great doubles throughout your, your entire career. Thank you. Uh, obviously, with so many career highlights, I wanted to mention your time on the doubles court. Who wouldn't want to be your partner with your serve anyway? I mean, come on. This is amazing. Can we talk about, speaking of Wimbledon, can we talk about that 2011 Wimbledon final, your first Grand Slam final, uh, just for a moment? Definitely a huge accomplishment. 
you played with the amazing Sam Stoser. When we talk about great serves in women's tennis in the past decade, you think, I mean, the Serena serve. We're talking Pliskova. We're talking Lisicki. We're talking Stoser. So, I mean, that's a formidable team. Absolutely. How did that partnership happen with Sam? <laughs> I, I was hoping you would ask that question because actually it was very, very funny because in Stuttgart, I wanted to play. So I was coming back from another injury and I wanted to play doubles so badly in Stuttgart at home. So the tournament director actually helped me and somehow I ended up playing with Sam. So that's how, how we started and we ended up winning the tournament. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> what a start is that? And then I actually asked her right after we won that match, Sam, do you want to play doubles at Wimbledon? And she was actually set with someone already. Yes, she was set. And she said, oh my gosh, I wish I knew earlier. I would have said yes, but I can't. I'm set already. I'm so sorry. And then her partner canceled on her last minute. It was the, I don't know if it was the same day that um, the entry deadline was closing and we somehow managed to sign in together. And there we were. I've got a wildcard into main draw singles. And yep. we got into the doubles. Um, I just came off winning Birmingham. And I ended up playing the doubles final, which was unbelievable. It was just... And the thing that I remember the most, actually, from that year, besides playing the final there was I lost my semi-final match to Maria Sharapova mm -hmm. and I had to play doubles the same day. So after that match, I was playing doubles and we were playing on court three. And so that's the one that's close to, to center court where we come out. We ended up winning that mat doubles match. It was packed. Like there was not a single seat open. And as we were coming off, the fans actually built a sort of tunnel all the way to center court where we go inside into our locker rooms. It was one of the most amazing moments that I had with fans because, you know, there were, I don't know, we had, I think, 10 security people, maybe 12 to keep a way open. And I kept signing. I, I was walking there, I think, for half an hour. And that's usually a way of two minutes. My cheeks are hurting right now. I'm smiling. I'm doing a Lissiki right now, everyone, because I'm just like, I'm smiling so hard <laughs> listening to that story. What an amazing story. I love fan culture in general. Players are, are typically insane mm -hmm. and fans are even more insane. So I love this like kind of, uh, partnership that we've formed over the years, but uh, what a great story. Before we move on from, from doubles, I really wanted to highlight your biggest doubles title, the Miami Open title, amazing title. You played with- Saving seven match points. <laughs> exactly. You played with legend, not even on top of that, I have something even better. You you played with a legend, Martina Hingis. Uh, you actually had the flu that week, if I remember. You had to withdraw from singles. You weren't feeling well. You ended up staying in the doubles. A few, exactly. You ended up staying. And then what a week, you know, you ended up winning the biggest doubles title of your career. Uh, I think at the time she was probably coaching you as well. I think you had a partnership with Martina. Maybe I, I don't know exactly the time period there, but um, really exciting to kind of win that title. I actually got her out of retirement. And um, that was the fun part. So in Indian Wells, I asked her, do you maybe want to play doubles? Because I sort of wanted a match before my singles match. And she was thinking, and she said, okay, 
let's ask for a wild card. So we, we requested one, we got one, we played, we lost to um, Ash Barty yeah. and Casey Delacqua in the first round in the match tiebreaker. So see, she didn't play for seven years. Our first match together and we fit so well. Um, so we played in Miami again. So we requested a wild card and we got it again and we started winning. And I actually, I was sick. I was really sick. I couldn't play my singles. And we were very lucky that I didn't have to play for two days. So I could, I was just sleeping. And I said to Martina, look, I'm so exhausted, but I'll step on the court. I'll give it everything I have. So I did. And we won that match. And from then on, I started feeling better and better by each day. And it was unbelievable. I don't know. I think it was a quarterfinal where we saved seven match points. Seven. It, yeah. we, we had no idea how we, how we won that match, especially there was one sitter where they had match point and they missed it. And we turned around and couldn't believe it. So, um, and then ending up winning the whole tournament was just insane and amazing and just a really nice feeling. You got her back to number one after that. I mean, that was a big run for her after that. She actually thanked me after winning uh, her first Grand Slam um, that I got her out of retirement, which was really nice of her. We still are in touch. So, um, you know, legend. Yeah. Hello, Martina Hingis. Love, love <laughs> her. What a career. Let's get to the actual game now. So that was our true or false. Let's start this. Lars, the first question's for you. This is the big time. First question now for you to kick us off. Question one. Sabine started training at the Nick Bolletieri Tennis Academy in 2004. That same year as a teenager, she would play in her very first senior level ITF events in Buchen, Germany. Her first match would be against this former pro, whose sister has close ties to Sabine, as well as having the distinction of currently starring in Belgium's version of The Bachelorette. I know, but I can't believe she's on that show. That's amazing. It's kind of fun, huh? <laughs> um, that's a great question. It's, it's Belgium, and you said former, right? I mean, I guess I'll say Hannon. I would love to see Justine. Justine Enna did do reality TV. She had a reality TV show in Belgium and she, they followed her around and she did. It was a very interesting show. It was all the things that you're scared to do. And she did it. So she would go out on stage and sing in front of a live audience, or she would skydive or like every week, it was like a different thing that she was scared to do. Very, very weird, interesting show. But anyway. Oh my gosh. Okay. (laughs) Do you know who the answer is, Sabine? Of course, Elka Kleisters. Elka Kleisters. Oh, man. <laughs> Go Elka Kleisters. I hope she finds love on The Bachelorette. Good for her. That's super cool. <laughs> Where do you find that? It's all in made news. It's happening right really? now. Yeah. She's, okay. I love a pro tennis reality TV show moments. I mean, we, yeah, we've had Navratilova on Dancing with the Stars. Wadwanska did it. Celis. Do you watch reality TV, Sabine? when you call that reality TV, then I guess yes, every now and then it's good to take your mind off. Yeah. Dancing okay. with the stars and things like that. Sometimes The Bachelor as well, but... <laughs> okay, well, now, now you're going to tune in at least. Sabine, you had an amazing junior career. Can you tell us about your tennis journey for those that aren't as familiar with your story? How did you get started playing tennis? Well, I actually loved the game from the start. My dad is a tennis coach, but he never wanted to teach me tennis because um, 
tennis dads didn't have the best um it it was a bit shady let's put it that way he didn't want to push his daughter to play so my mom actually started playing with me and then she said look please your daughter wants to play please show her and so he started with me when i was seven twice half an hour a week so that's like nothing and yeah i ended up playing pretty good and was winning tournaments and so my parents always took me to to more tournaments and higher level tournaments and i was number one in germany then i was number four in europe where uh nicole vaidisova was ahead of me timia baczynski and actually vika azarenka was there too so it was the four of us already then you know it was under 14s so amazing and then i actually did not play much under 18s because my parents had to make the tough choice to um, let me play on the ITF Women's Tour because you would mm. get money there. You've said in interviews that financially it was very tough. Your family had to sacrifice a lot for your career early on. Moving to Bradenton, obviously, that's a serious tennis town. You know, Nick Bolateri, that's a that's a place where only people that really want to focus on tennis and be a pro, at least try to be a pro, is really going to happen. So at least the questions answered that, yes, this is something that you really wanted to do. But what was it like traveling around early on, picking and choosing? And obviously the financial burden of the ITF tour is so horrible. We hear all these stories, even during the, in the COVID era. Uh, what was those first years like for you? It was really tough because uh, we sometimes had to cancel tournaments because we couldn't afford to go there. And we were driving by car through entire Europe in a small um, small car. So it was, it was a Nissan Micra actually. <laughs> so very tiny box. So, and yet it took us to so many tournaments and, you know, I think that I learned to grind at those tournaments as well. You know, you have to be strong and stay tough. And, you know, eventually I started winning more and more yep. and, um, I found my way onto the WTA tour. So that's the fun part. You turned pro in 2006 and you were traveling and playing ITFs during that time. Already less than two years into your pro career, you'd get your ranking high enough so that you could play in your first Grand Slam at the 2008 Australian Open. You'd qualify and win the very first main draw match of your career by defeating Zanara Safina, another former number one in the first round. She'd later make the French Open final later that year as well. Great year for Dinara. Definitely your first big win on tour. I know we just finished a very interesting two weeks in Melbourne. What were your memories from that first trip like to the Australian Open? Oh my gosh, it was amazing. Um, I remember we had to fly out on Christmas Day because it was much cheaper. <laughs> so uh, that's when we had to fly. It was heartbreaking because, you know, it was um, my mom was at home and we were going to Australia, but it was so exciting. I think that was the last time you had to worry about those flights, though, at least that. So that was good. at yeah. least. So well done making that happen. But <laughs> So uh, we actually had friends there. So we, we got to Sydney. We stayed with our friends and we didn't have any bags. So our bags got lost and they came three days later. So <laughs> that was my first experience. So uh, I went to New Zealand. I thought it's, oh my God, it's so hot. I don't know how I'm supposed to survive on the tennis court in this heat. Uh, we did get burned as well because we didn't know how strong that sun is down there. <laughs> 
And by the time Australian Open qualifying started, we were ready. We had sunscreen, we got some more clothes for my dad <laughs> and I started winning and I just kept going. And because I actually played third round there in front of amazing, happy, cheering fans, I got nominated to play Fed Cup. So that was very exciting. I mean, it was very exciting. You had a third round showing at the Australian Open. You you were on everyone's radar at that point because you're beating the big names. Not yet. Hey, starting you were to. you were on the radar. You know, beating Safina that year was a was a big win. Yeah. People were starting to notice you. You went to play Fed Cup. You were selected to play Fed Cup for the first time. You'd go to California to make your debut against Team USA, and what a debut you'd make in your first match. You'd beat. Another legend. That's just the word. If we're drinking tonight, that's definitely the, the word that we're taking a, a sip of our cocktail. Yeah. You'd beat legend Lindsay Davenport. What a huge win against Lindsay. The first of 10 career victories against players that have been number one in your career. Not sure if you know that stat. Oh, I didn't know that. The great okay. stat. And what a moment. What is that moment like to have a big win like that surrounded by Fed Cup teammates? Pretty amazing, right? I loved it, but I I was so focused on playing Lindsay and I wanted to beat her so badly. And everybody on the team thought I'm crazy thinking that because she's never lost a single match at Fed Cup on home mm -hmm. soil. So I was like, I'm going to change that. And, you know, everybody was like, yeah, yeah let her talk, you know, and then I ended up winning and everybody was surprised, even the um, U.S. media, which was, it was fun to see all of that happening. It was crazy. No, I mean, your name was all over the place. It was, it was great. We have Lindsay on the show upcoming. So I'm very excited. Oh, really? Oh, how amazing. She actually got the better of me in Memphis. We played two weeks later and it was again, a great match. And I think I lost five and six, something very close. It was, it was close for match. So Losing a match like that actually feels still okay, fine, because you know you played well and she just was better that day. But I, I just loved playing her even twice back to back. It was it was such a cool experience. Oh, so cool. Miss Lindsay Davenport on a court. Say hi to her for me. <laughs> I will, for sure. We just brought up Fed Cup. Uh, we can talk about Fed Cup for a moment because it's been an important part of your career as well. You've told us how amazing it was to represent Germany at the Olympics. You've always shown up for Fed Cup, even playing in the Fed Cup final in 2014, a huge moment in your country's Fed Cup career, especially after this, the Graf Huber era. What has Fed Cup meant to you over the years? Any Fed Cup memories that, uh, that come to mind? A lot. We always wanted to win it and it kind of sucks that we haven't been able to because we have so many amazing players um, now and it's a bit sad that we didn't win it. So I think it's a bittersweet memory when it comes to that. But it's always fun to to have a week with teammates, to be in a team competition while you're yeah. always alone on the road and always fighting for yourself. Here you're fighting for your country. And I think some of the best memories were playing at home in Stuttgart. I mean, that was just incredible. You, you get goosebumps when you walk out there. It's incredible. Oh, yeah. Speaking of Stuttgart, we had Laura Siegemund on the show and uh, she obviously had that ACL injury as well. And she came back and it was quite amazing. We talked about you as well because it had just happened in Linz and, and she said, you know, she fully expects to see you winning matches again. So uh, it just seemed like there was a lot of, um, 
great support system. You know, I, I know Andre Petkovic as well. Kerber seems super nice. You know, it's just like a nice pack of people that, that come from your country. So, you know, it's Fed Cup in Germany always seemed like, um, like just a nice team, you know? So hopefully we get to do it again. I think it's going to happen. So right after that big Fed Cup win, Sabine, you'd continue to shoot up the rankings and actually get your first top 10 victory at the Miami Open against Anna Chakvatadze. At this point, you're beating seeds and grand slams. You're beating former number ones. You just beat your first top 10 player. Was the confidence in your game always there or did it take the belief of winning those big matches to make you play your best tennis? Is the confidence always been there or do you need to build on that? I think it depends on the situation. Um, I won a lot of matches on the way to playing on the WTA tour to get up in the rankings. So that helped me a lot. And I always had that firm mm -hmm. belief that I could do really well on tour. And I had no doubt in that, but obviously you always gain confidence when you beat those big players. There's just no way around it than beating them. It's just the ultimate, yeah, you're doing things right. So that's something that helps a lot and um, is fun to do as well because it usually happens in front of a big crowd. <laughs> it does. You certainly did make a name for yourself in 2008. And it would prove to be uh, the year that Sabine would announce herself to the tennis world, but it would be 2009 where she would establish herself as a major player in the sport. So let's move on to our second question. Sabine, this is your first question. Here we go. In 2009, you would not only get your first victory over a top five player, but it would be against the Venus Williams on the way to your first title of your career at the Family Circle Cup in Charleston. So your question is about 2009. I just mentioned you'd get your first WTA top five victory against Venus, but can you remember who your second victory against a top five player was a little bit later that year? Top five. Mm -hmm. She was five at the time that you beat her. That must be Kuznetsova at Wimbledon. Congratulations. Well done. You're on the board. Very nice. I love that you uh, hey. can remember the career. Sveta's 35 and she's still winning. I've said it a few times in many of my podcasts. I think we're playing in this era where the veterans are thriving. You have Sveta. And they keep coming back. <laughs> they do. You have Sveta, Serena, Sue, Kai Kanepi, Sam Stoser, all 35 and older and all won matches at the Australian Open. Amazing. I mentioned Charleston. I remember taking notice and saying how much I loved your playing style. It, it was really great watching your reaction winning that match as well. I think that really made a lot of people fall in love with you. You had a very memorable win against Wozniacki in the final. You laid down on the clay in disbelief. You had clay all over you. And your celebrations are really what uh, what are synonymous with you in general. But um, it's because they see how much you know it means to you. What, what was that Charleston title like for you winning that title that first title it's always that big that big moment it, it meant so much to me because I lost my first final in in Luxembourg just uh, I think six months before that and um Tashkent seven six and the third too Tashkent with a match point yep. that hurt a lot and I actually had a bet with my parents if I would win. We actually made that bet before the match against Venus. And I just had my driver's license done. And I asked them, I always loved cars. I'm a car fanatic. And I asked them when I went to their room and was scrolling in the internet and said, okay, 
if I win the entire tournament, meaning beating Venus tomorrow, which I mean, you know, that's tough to do. Safe bet. Yeah. Yes. Can I get a car? And I, I said which car I wanted. And my parents asked how much the car was, how much you would is the winner's check. They looked at each other and said, okay. <laughs> so, and the funny part is that in the final, so it was a Porsche Cayenne. Mm -hmm. And in the final, Caro Wozniacki and I were both playing for Porsche. Because if she would have won, she would have gotten into the top 10 and then gotten a car at Porsche Cup in Stuttgart. And I had that bet with my parents. So so that's um, a fun behind the scenes story, I think. What color is the Porsche? <laughs> Midnight blue. Okay, there we go. Midnight blue. So you beat Caro in the final. And from my memory, 08, when you made it to the third round, wasn't she the victor in that match? Did it feel even sweeter in addition to getting a Porsche, which is incredible that like you were able to avenge that third round loss? Uh, I didn't think about that, to be honest. Mm, I am not the type of person that thinks too much about revenge. I just want to go out and win. It's more about winning the match. So that was the motivation behind that. Yeah, honestly. I, and, you know, for, for us, I mean, I play recreationally. Once you lose to somebody, it's not about, you know, you learn from it too. You're just like, what did I do? Could I win this match? Like, what could I possibly do to win the match? But you did. And it was on clay. So there we go. Oh, man, amazing. You back up Charleston with titles in your career in Birmingham, Texas, and Hong Kong. Looking back on those four tournaments, they're all so different, all very special events at different parts in your career. Was there maybe one of them that was maybe a little extra special? Obviously, we just talked about Charleston. We won a Porsche. So that's kind of a stupid question at this point. I mean, you're winning a Porsche, but was there any... Winning. I bought it, right? I bought my first car on my own, but... You know, of course. Was you earned it. And I'm proud of it. I still have it and it's still my baby. <laughs> But yes, Birmingham was a special one. I mean, all of them are special, but yeah. because I won Birmingham, that's the reason why I got a wild card into Wimbledon mm -hmm. and I ended up playing semifinal there. So yeah. that's why I was playing with so much pressure on my back at Birmingham because I knew I had to do well in order to get that wild card. So, you know, being able to win the quarterfinal, semifinal and final when all you see and hope for is a wild card for Wimbledon, that's some pressure. So that's I'm, I'm quite proud of that mm. and thankful, too, for Wimbledon to give me that wild card because it's not you know, a given that when you're German to get a wild card in England. Love it. Oh, I, well, it was well-deserved, of course, right? You've had some memorable matches through the years. Your match against Serena at Wimbledon, we'll talk about in a moment. But there was a poll that I read, I think it was last year, and they were talking about some of your very best matches outside of Wimbledon. Okay. And there's one that I remember very well because it's my very favorite Sabine Lasicki match as well. Well, before I tell you, I'd like to know what your favorite Sabine moment is outside of Wimbledon. Uh, there's so many matches that probably stick out in your head. Was there one that maybe there was like a big comeback? You talked about the streets of a match. It could be that one. Just one that you come back and it was just like you gave you everything or just something very special that maybe fans don't really know that it was something going on maybe. Besides that streets of a match, there are probably, well, no, there are a couple. I would say three. I, I have to name three. 
So, so one is great beating Jelena Jankovic in Stuttgart um, because I've always lost mm. to her. I was tired of losing to her and, and playing her at home in the second round to get into the quarterfinal, beating her meant a lot. So that's one. The second one is beating Flavia Panetta in Indian Wells because it was the year where I won my very first match at Indian Wells in the main draw. Finally, after so many tries, finally I won the match and then I ended up playing the semifinal and the one against Flavia Panetta was a grind. We partly didn't play well, but it was a grind. So I was really proud of that. And then actually a match that I ended up losing was playing Serena in Miami. So it was a very close one, but I thought it was very high level mm. and there were just very, very small things that changed the outcome of the match. I love matchups in tennis too. Lars, I don't know if you feel the same way, but it really is just your game always matched up very well with Serena. It was just something that was just very interesting. I, I find with tennis players that uh, some can have a very lopsided head to head and then beat others. It's just a very interesting kind of game. Same on the recreational level too. Well, you did mention a match. As a fan, I felt like my favorite match had everything you want from a Sabine Lisicki match. You had fight, you had drama, you had the comeback, plus you had that elation on match point. It was crazy. It was that match against Flavia Panetta in the quarterfinals of Indian Wells. She was the defending champion, and you came back from match point to win. It was an amazing match, so definitely kudos. That What a great match. Speaking of amazing, it's time to talk about Wimbledon, though. So, Lars, this is your last question. Of course, I didn't want to leave today without talking how solid Sabine has been at the All England Club over the years. We all know that Sabine is a force to be reckoned with on a grass court, but the quality of her wins have been really outstanding over the years. So here's your last question, Lars. Do you know the total number of players that Sabine has beaten at Wimbledon that have gone on to win a singles grand slam in their career? Okay, question. So are they allowed to have already won it or they have to go on to win it? Yeah, see, I yeah, that's a good question. I would ask the same one. And I'm so competitive, so I just... Good question. Great. I love it. You're connected. Fandom. So from today, looking back, this many people have won a Grand Slam. Got you. Okay, this many people. Lena, that is, that's a match, right? That's a match to go back to watch. Serena, uh, Maria, uh, Caroline... Wozniacki, oh my God. Uh, Kuznetsova, right? Um, cool. So now this is the point in which there's just like jumbling going on in my okay. brain. Um, mm -hmm. So I just named about five names, right? I'm going to say seven. It's a good, that's good, Lars. Thank you. Really good. Sabine, do you know how many? No idea. No idea. It's more than seven. It's 10. It's 10. Really? 10. Crazy. You're missing Ivanovich, Sloan Stevens, Bartoli. You know, the list just keeps going at this, you know. That Sloan match was close. That was great. There's all, all the things you want from a Sabine. Never count out Sabine Lasicki at Wimbledon. Exactly. Sabine, your love affair with Wimbledon is well documented. Your game is perfect for grass and you've beaten the world's best. We've already named a few. It's 10 total if you want to look back. Plus all the other matches, the great players that you've beaten over the over the years, as well as your match against Peak Serena in 2013 will definitely go down as one of your career highlights. Looking back to that match with Serena, what did that match mean to you? A lot for many reasons. Yep. I had another bet before that match. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love how you motivate yourself. This is good. Okay. All right. I'm going to dangle something in front of you for this comeback yes. we're going to talk about. So I felt 
very good about my game that year. I have beaten Schiavone in the first round. There's another Grand Slam champion you've beaten there. There's another one. Okay. <laughs> Vesnina in the second round. Sam Stozer in a tough one in the third round. So there, were, there I was playing Serena in the fourth round after she's won everything on clay that year. And the previous year, she won everything on grass. So she was basically unbeaten. And I don't know why, but I had a pretty good feeling going out and playing her. And I just felt like it was an amazing fight. And that's what I always feel like when I play Serena. I know that you have to play your absolute best to have a chance to win. And that's something that's so fun as well, because it's so challenging. That's why I love to play her, because it's the biggest challenge that you can get. And it's just amazing. The crowd was amazing. It had its twists and turns. And I was down 1-3, 1-4 in the third. After losing, I won the first set. Then it was 1-6, 1-4. And I don't know how I turned that around, but it was my heart that did that. Best match of your career? Yes. Yeah. As far as preparing for Wimbledon, I, I we talked a little bit about your Olympic experience. So I can gather that Wimbledon is always circled on your calendar every single year when you were playing. Do you prepare differently? Do you practice on grass in the off season? Is there certain things that you do to, to fine tune your grass game? Absolutely nothing. It just feels natural. It comes natural. So I used to hate grass. The first year I lost every single match on grass. I, I didn't know how to cope with it. And I was too stressed about it. And from the second year on, I just loved it. Yeah. Having both you and Marion making the final was really great because both of you played so well on grass over the years and and worked so hard to get to that level. So it was really nice to see that matchup that one of you would would win the title. What an experience to be able to say you played in a Wimbledon final. We had Zena Garrison on the show, and she spoke about how that 1990 Wimbledon final for her against Navratilova is still fresh in her memory, and she has dreams of it, and she still thinks of it. But she wishes she could replay the match. If you had the chance to change anything on that day against Bartoli, is there anything you'd change? The two days before, I slept uh, yeah. four hours in total before that final. <laughs> I wish I had slept two normal nights because then I probably would have had more energy because I was lacking energy. So yeah. I did everything I could, yeah. but I had no energy in my tank. So Yeah. Uh, wrapping up Wimbledon chat, is there one memory that sticks out to you other than those two matches? Is there something that's really just, I mean, you mentioned this amazing line that fan experienced uh, in 2011. What an amazing, uh, but every year you go back, I mean, probably greeted with such love at, at Wimbledon. Is there any other memory that sticks out? Because we just love Sabine and Wimbledon memories. It's our favorite. <laughs> yes, there is one. Actually, I told you that I lost all the matches on grass the first year. The second year, actually, in the first two tournaments, the same thing. I lost the first round. And then here I was at Wimbledon in 09, and I was playing Chuck Betadze. And she played the quarterfinal in the previous year. So she had a lot of points to defend. So she obviously was playing well on grass as well. And here I was, I had that super strong grass allergy because I think most of the people know that I have a bad grass allergy and playing on grass is not the most fun in that regards. So I ended up winning that match, but I had absolutely no voice. 
So I wasn't able to do press conference. So I, I went in there, but I was talking like that. <laughs> I could not talk. And so it was the shortest press conference that I ever had. And um, from that moment on, the doctors put me on meds so that, you know, I wouldn't lose my voice every time I played a match on grass. Oh man, I know. I, I love hearing those stories. Yeah, allergic to grass, but not allergic to winning, right? That's just exactly <laughs> some of the best players of all time can't say they played in a Wimbledon final. So your moment is a dream of millions of tennis players. So kudos to you. Amazing. Thank you. We are all cheering for you that day. Dream's not over yet, Sabine Lasicki. So all right, it's our last question. Sabine, this one's for you, and this one's for the win. Okay, here we go. Tennis players and injury are as common as Rafa Nadal winning a French Open title or Sabine Lasicki hitting an ace. But few have successfully come back from injury as many times as Sabine has. In 2011, after coming back from a severe ankle injury, she was awarded with the WTA Comeback Player of the Year Award. This last question will be multiple choice. Sabine is in great company with some of the great comeback players in WTA history. Which of the following players? has not won the WTA Comeback Player of the Year Award? Is it A, Vika Azarenka, B, Lindsay Davenport, C, Sloane Stevens, D, Petra Kvitova, or E, Venus Williams? Sloane has not won it. It's a good one. Lars, do you think, do you agree? Do you think? Actually, no, it's, it's, um, it's Venus. Because Sloane actually did come back. I forgot about that because she had that foot injury if i'm not mistaken so uh she was not ranked and she won cincinnati and the u.s open I, I don't know if she won cincinnati but she played well and then she won the u.s open so she did get that i forgot about that but venus i think she was on tour and she was never injured for long okay they, all right both serena and well serena came back a few times she got it but i think it's venus venus Good call with that because Sloan did win it. So you good change up at the very end there. It was actually Petra Kravitova who has not won. And you'd think that- Oh, no, she's won it with, after coming back from her hand. You'd think she did, but she didn't win that year. Really? Pretty strange. No Petra Kravitova, but um, you know, Petra, kudos to you. Ultimate comeback from a home invasion. Absolutely horrendous and horrible, but um, the body's funny that way. You know, sometimes it breaks, sometimes it heals. You know, it's mind blowing. But- when did Venus win it? I feel like Venus never was out for that long. She just plays amazingly ever since she started playing on tour. Yeah, I know. But, you know, obviously, kudos to everybody who wins that award. I love how competitive you are, too. You're, I... <laughs> <laughs> it's no secret that you've had absolutely terrible luck with injuries in your career, Sabine. I just mentioned in 2010, you had major ankle injury that took you out of the game for five months. You drop to 218 in the world. You storm back in 2011 and you make your first Wimbledon semifinal. You'd end up winning WTA Comeback Player of the Year. When many players have retired, you've stayed resilient. What advice do you have for tennis fans like Lars, who's also just coming back from an injury that don't allow them to play tennis anymore? What strength can you give people listening? Well, I think if there's love for the game, you just shouldn't give up and you just need one reason for it to work and not the million reasons that it might not work out mm. 
So that's something I stick with. And if you love the game, if you love playing, competing, it doesn't matter on which level, even in life, not only tennis, you, you know, you pick yourself up. It doesn't matter how heartbreaking it is and how heartbroken you are. You pick your pieces up and you get yourself together and you go back with head held high. <laughs> onto the court or into the office or whatever it is. I agree with you, Sabine. It's so inspiring. The struggles you've had to go through are really so inspiring. People don't know the half of what you've had to go through in your career. True. You've had knee, shoulder, you've had a debilitating case of mono. And just recently in Lynn's, a torn ACL. I bring this up because through all the smiles that you have, eventually you're human. You just have to say, you know, why does this keep happening to me? You know, what, what is it about my game that just brings out or my body that just brings this out? I know your fans are anxious to hear how you're doing. Can you give the listeners an update where you are with surgery and rehab at this moment? Yeah. So that was a terrible accident I had in Linz and it wasn't just my ACL, but several other things so a lot of people were saying why are you not back up on your feet yet why are you not walking without crutches but because it was not just the ACL so um, there were a few more things so that needed Mm. to be fixed and I was on crutches for two months and Mm. I was the happiest to be able to walk again without them and actually something as simple as taking a shower while standing was such a big relief so and it still is frightening in a way because you just don't want to slip and you you want to stay secure you want to keep building back up but you know it's it's not easy it's a lot of ups and downs because of that knee injury it's Mm. swollen for no reason sometimes or swollen because I walk for half an hour too much. And, you know, so you have to be very careful. You have to work very, very hard. I I work out once or twice a day. And uh, so I'm working on everything, but it is tough. No joke. You're, gosh, man, I'm, you're inspiring. You really are. I'm looking at you and I'm thinking I, you know, I don't know if it could be, if it was me, I don't know. You know, it really is. You give people so much strength. I love that you're back in the gym. We've seen on your Instagram that you're back in the gym. For those who don't know as well, check out Sabine's YouTube channel. You really saved me this summer with your workouts. They were really- <laughs> Glad to hear. <laughs> it was helpful for the moment. I highly recommend you all logging on and checking out her catalog of workouts. Really well done with those. Those are really great. Thank you so much. I was trying to give something back during Corona and- trying to motivate people that, you know, even at home you can work out and it's quite simple and you can still uh, give yourself a good workout. So I hope people enjoy it. I'm sure you're taking one step at a time, but of course I have to ask, is the goal right now to come back and play WTA tennis or are we just feeling things out right now? Of course it is. Okay. Otherwise I wouldn't work out twice a day. So I don't know where the journey will take me. Um, It's going to be a very long road and I don't know what's in there for me, but I'm certainly have so much love for the game and passion that I want to give it another go. It comes through. A lot of people wrote to me and they said, you know, I just can't believe how positive she stays through it all. And after listening to you today, if you have the desire, it's going to happen. And someone like Sabine Lasicki, if it if it's going to happen, it's going to happen for you. So 
I can't thank you enough. You ended up tied today. So it came down to the tie break. Sabine Lasicki, congratulations. You're the winner of, of our game today of fan versus favorite. <laughs> so bragging rights to the pros this week. So well done. We're going to wrap up today with a question from one of Sabine's biggest fans. And that's Lars. So Lars, you have the final question today. Uh, thank you so much. Yeah, I, I just first off want to preface my question by really wholeheartedly expressing how much you mean to me and so many other weekend warriors out there who get injured. It's my first injury and I ruptured the entire ECR Bravis tendon. I like couldn't extend my arm. I like, yeah, it was like, it was crazy. And oh my God. there's some really dark moments, but you're just such a shining light for so many people that you don't even know how you, you know, affect us. Um, and it's like, if you can do it and then you can do it again and you can go out there, you know, wave that German flag, please, right now. Like, you know, so I don't mean to get emotional, but I just really want to heartfeltly thank you so much. I just need you to know that. And Oh, nice. Thank you so, so much for saying it means a lot. Um, <clears throat> my game is based around a first serve too. And so that'll come later. But nice. <laughs> Yeah, I think, you know, for me, my final question is less so about legacy and more so about in moving forward and sort of the hustle and the grind. Like, what do you think really is that intrinsic, like what makes up that intrinsic spark that you have? If you could sort of explain it to me, because I see such inspiration and you are an anchor for me. But if you could just use your own words, it'd be so helpful. Well, I think a lot of that is how my parents raised me um that's thanks to them and to appreciate the little moments and I was very lucky that my dad is my coach my mom was traveling a lot as well so we got to see the world together I'm very thankful for that and you learn through traveling so much what's happening in the world and how blessed you are and how thankful you should be just having a roof over your head, fresh water and some food on the table and a good company of family and friends. So I always keep remembering that. And, um, you know, I always leave my heart out there on the court. So every single time, even if it's a bad day of mine, I, I will fight till the last ball and I think that's something that has um, has been a signature maybe of mine as well that I never give up and um, fall down eight times get back up a ninth time and that's what's happening now again and um, I'm ready for that journey it's a roller coaster so you have to learn to dance in the rain I love it what a great way to end today amazing <laughs> Thank you guys. What a fun hour. I think we've all been inspired by you today, Sabine. I want to thank my guests for joining us today. We've learned so much. You can find Lars and all of his amazing content on his YouTube channel, search Lars Mellis, as well as on his Instagram at liveyourtruth underscore Lars. Or if you want a professional astrology reading, even via Zoom, contact him on Instagram at LYT underscore astrology. Thank you for the powwow today, Lars. Really happy to see you. Thank you so much for having me. The fantastic Sabine Lasicki has some amazing workouts on her YouTube channel that I highly recommend, as I mentioned. Search Sabine Lasicki. Please also make sure to follow Sabine's comeback progress on her Instagram and Twitter, both at Sabine Lasicki. I can't thank you enough, Sabine. Please know you have 
a legion of fans supporting you. And I'm gonna try and be there for that match when you come back for your comeback, okay? I appreciate that. Thank you for having me. While you're on Instagram, please shoot me a DM at John Garika. Let me know who you're a big fan of and who you'd like to see on an upcoming show. Also, don't forget to follow us at Fantastic Tennis Pod or on Twitter at Fan Tennis Pod. Your love of tennis is why we're here, so I appreciate the support. My name is John Garika, and thank you for listening. This has been fantastic. <laughs>